0: Welcome back to the Present Fathers podcast. Our guest in this episode is Dr. Stuart Perilliat, founder of man to man Urban Youth Advocate. He discusses the importance of fathers and the impact that fatherlessness has on communities. He shares his personal journey of growing up in Oakland with significant challenges and eventually joining Marine Corps to escape. He rose to the rank of Sergeant and after his time in the Marine Corps, decided to return to Oakland and found his advocacy program. He has spent decades ministering to this community, including to the prisons, and has learned a great deal and has a great deal of experience to share in this episode. Through these decades of service, he has discovered that fatherlessness is the root cause of many social issues. Dr. Perilliat emphasizes the need for emotional regulation and communication skills in fatherhood and highlights the role of coaches and schools in teaching these skills. He also addresses the challenges of co-parenting and offers a great deal of useful advice in this episode as it relates to co-parenting. He stresses the importance of building trust and rapport with your children and he does this to fathers who are typically resistant to seeking any kind of help. Dr. Parilliette encourages fathers to stay the course and be active, to be present and consistent in their children's lives. And through this, that makes a massive difference. I'm very excited to share this episode with you. Uh, Dr. P is an incredible guy who has done a lot of amazing work. He's on the front lines of fatherlessness, making a difference. And his perspective is extremely valuable for all of us to understand because what he's going to share will help us triangulate how we can make a better difference in our own communities. So please tune in, listen closely. Uh, His experience is one you want to learn from and if you feel so inclined, please check out Man-to-Man Urban Youth Advocate and help them help young men and to restore relationships between parents and their children. Welcome back to the Present Fathers podcast. We are very thrilled to present to you Dr. Stuart Periliat. Dr. Stuart Perilliatt runs the Man-to-Man Urban Youth Outreach uh, or advocacy, excuse me, and um, has been doing prison ministry and a whole bunch of really great things uh, for a very long time. So we are very thrilled to welcome him to the podcast. Dr. P, how are you?
1: Doing well. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on your show.
0: We're really thrilled. And uh, I think the work that you're doing is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't realize how much of a problem um, you know fatherlessness really is, especially in certain communities uh, around the country. So we're very excited to get your uh input on such a pressing issue right and uh you know that's why we started this podcast was to advocate for men to be better fathers so you know you're on the front line of that uh, literally so let's start um tell us a little bit about your background kind of your upbringing i know you joined the marine corps to kind of get get out of uh your situation right um tell us a little bit about how your upbringing was and kind of what motivated you eventually to get to where you are today running this ministry
1: absolutely so Uh, born in East Oakland, uh, born and raised, uh, tough area growing up, uh, not really most of the communities were fatherlessness. Um, I did have a father at home, uh, but he wasn't very present in my adult or my junior high years. He was there during my elementary years and then some happened where he stayed at home. I mean, he worked you know, and he came home, but he wasn't really active. He wasn't present. He wasn't consistent in my life, which created a place where I started doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, it was the murder capital, you know, when I was in high school. A uh, lot of drugs, a uh, lot of killings, a lot of homicides. And uh, even today, Oakland is the most dangerous city in California. Um so, I joined the service to to get out of that life and try to change my lifestyle. figured you know joining the marines uh would be uh something that fits into my lifestyle in terms of fighting and survival and uh and discipline was what I knew I really needed and that was a key point that I was lacking in my life, and I knew that I needed it uh fast forward. I began to um run an organization called man to Man Urban Youth Advocate. And I did that for quite some time. Then I went, you know, started working on my master's degree. And that's when I really found out how critical this work was. You know, I thought I was working, you know, to try to help find a solution for the kids and the young, you know, youth. Um, but And so I wrote my thesis on disadvantaged young men in urban communities, went all the way to the 1940s. Uh, in East Oakland, when it was a very thriving community, had four military bases, had a lot of factories and Black businesses and had the Black Panther movement. So things were, you know, progressive. Uh, But then uh, that's when drugs began to come in and crack. And that changed the whole uh, trajectory in terms of our communities. And now what used to be the friendly community ended up being you know, a, a war zone. And so um, at that point, again, I'm still thinking that, you know, the youth is a problem, so I'm gonna find a solution for this problem. And then uh, I started working on my dissertation. And you know, the, the real funny thing here is when I was working on my thesis, I had everything, we, we knew what the problem was, we knew, you know, everything that needed to be addressed. All I had to do was come up with a solution and I could be finished with my dissertation in a year. And then that's when I started seeing it's not the youth, it's the fathers, the lack of a fathers. And that the youth was only a byproduct of the issue, but the root cause was fatherlessness. And so that's where I started putting most of my energy in terms of um, working with this fatherless uh, nation, because you know, There's a saying uh, that fatherlessness is the most destructive trend of our society. But what people fail to understand is in every country, not just the U.S., wherever there's a father, there's an issue, which is a problem, you know. And it's the most, when they say the most destructive, 90 percent of our social ills is because of this issue. So we can fix the fatherless problem. We can fix 90 percent of our social ills.
0: Uh, yeah, we agree completely with the the importance of having a father around and in, involved and engaged. Uh, like we said, this is why we started our podcast. So, um, you know, it was very obvious to us from just from our points of view um, before we started that this issue is significantly, you know, worldwide is a problem. Um, so l- let's maybe hone in a little bit more to, to where you are working. Tell us a little about um, specifically man to man, what it is, how. Uh, you know how you how you work with the communities and and um you know just just a little bit about it and then we'll kind of go from there into to you know maybe the broader
1: conversation. Okay, so I've been going to San Quentin State Prison uh, since 1995. I started off playing against basketball against the inmates and uh, building those type of relationships. I also have um, I met Wayne in San Quentin. Uh, you know, I was an advisor for the San Quentin News Department. And then I begin our program, Man to Man, working in conjunction to, I'm also a pastor, so I preach in the chapel as well. And so uh, I'm trying to reach them any way that I can. So all our classes are in San Quentin State Prison, uh, in the chapel. And uh, we teach Men and emotions, that's the one we start off with because we see a lot of men have problems with the emotional piece based on what society says, what it means to be a man. And so, you know, they've shut off their emotions, how they feel, how to be transparent, how to be vulnerable. So that's the very first class that we teach. And then we teach uh, conflict resolution, uh, active listening, miscommunication, all of these now i know we're talking about fatherhood but all of these play a part in terms of fatherhood and i'll tell you why if you're single father you need to know how to communicate with the mother and co-parent if you don't know how to do that that's a problem and what's going to create is what we call miscommunication um need to know how to communicate with your children how to be able to actively listen and to be able to share how you feel which is something that we don't do as men because we're taught that we're not supposed to share how we feel. We're not supposed to have emotions. And so when we feel that we have these emotions, then we feel guilty, like something's wrong with us because we're crying or we're emotional or we're transparent or open or all of these things. So those are the classes that we start with. Then we teach our fatherhood class, which is a 12-week class. Uh, we, I'm a member of the Fatherhood National uh, Initiative. Um, uh, and, um, uh, I am, I've done grants with them. I've done programs where I've gotten trained, uh, to be their facilitator. And then we also have our own curriculum, which is, uh, fast fatherhood advocacy, support and training. Uh, on top of that, we teach a 52 week domestic violence class, you know, teaching these men that, you know, violence is more than just physical, but it can be emotional. You know, it can, you know, those scars is just as deep. So all of the areas that I've pretty much noticed that men are struggling with in terms of men and masculinity, that's another class that we teach. I'm actually teaching a workshop next week on uh, toxic masculinity and being able to communicate about your sexuality, about who you are, your masculinity, what it means to be a man. You know, the role has changed and they didn't prepare us for the change.
2: You know, I actually want to recap something you just said. So what a lot of people in society and and a whole don't realize is that fathers teach a lot of those skills that seem so basic. And what you don't realize is they're they're really not unless that father is there. People take that for granted. So the fact that you go in and you're teaching like inmates, for example, you know, differentiating factors to quote Nick Lavery, uh, something like emotional regulation or communication and, you know, violence and what it causes, not just physically, but emotionally and, you know, down the road, you know, spiritually, it's, that's a big deal. And I don't think people really realize in a whole what that can do to somebody. So I love the fact that you, you pointed out that those are some of the, the key factors and what, I guess, just men or fatherly figures do, but fathers as a whole do as well.
1: Absolutely. Justin, you're, you're right on point. and And the thing is, our program, there's, there's a reason why we start off with emotions and the other classes fall in place. All, all our programs and all our curriculums are lived experience. So it's based on my own basic life of growing up, wishing what I had, what I neglected. And so you're right. The guys that's in prison, we're teaching them how to be fathers while incarcerated. So they can still build relationships with their children while still behind bars.
2: Yeah. Uh, Brandon, go ahead. I was going to let you take care of the, uh, I, I had something to say about the toxic masculinity thing, but I'll let Brandon say something first. Well, you know, I
3: just wanted to ask you if you could dive into that a little bit more. Cause, cause you know, that word is very thrown around. Um, and there's a lot of, differences and opinions and and things like that. So I just, if you don't mind going to that a little bit deeper for us.
1: About the toxic masculinity. Yes, please. You know, there's a lot of, um, let's say when when I was growing up, uh, my dad was uh, the breadwinner. He was the one who went to work every single day to make sure the lights was on, make sure that we had a roof over our head. We had food in the house. And we thought that generated us to be, or equated us to be this, what we call a man. And that uh, defined us in terms of our masculinity. Well, uh, now there's women that's making more money than men. Uh, There are men who lives in a woman's house that she pays for or drives her car. So when we think about the masculinity now, We don't know where we fit in because uh, the goalpost has changed. It's moved. And we haven't been prepared for the move. And so what, what makes it bad is if you don't know who you are in terms of a man and you have a mate who's doing very well in terms of making this money, then you feel like you have to exercise your masculinity towards her to prove to her that you're a man. And that's when the domestic violence comes in and you start beating her because you want to show that you're this masculine man, but that's not really masculine. That's, you know, (laughs) for me, that's weak, you know, because if you have a woman who's actually working and bringing money in the house and it's coming into the same household, now I'm going to flip the script. I was a single father where I had my daughter in the third grade, my son in the sixth grade. I'm working on a master's degree and I'm mother and dad. Now the mom wasn't on drugs, she wasn't on alcohol or she wasn't living in the streets. But in terms of what I felt that I could contribute for my kids and fought to get that was a complete different thing. So what when my kids came home from school, I was the father like the mother. You understand what I mean? I was the one who prepared the meals. I was the one that yeah. did the homework. I was the one that made sure that they went to football practice and basketball practice and voice lessons and PTA meetings. Now, that's not the masculinity in which I grew up. You understand what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, that's man. what we are today. I hope I'm covering what you're asking. Yeah. No, that's, that's really well said.
0: Go ahead, B. Yeah, I think- You look like- well, I was just going to, you know, we've, we've talked about it on this show before, but, you know, I think what you're describing how, you know, traditionally men would go to work, they, you know, they pay the bills, they put the food on the table. And that's kind of like, you know, that was, you know, the definition of what a man was, is really one dimensional. Um, and if you really look at what authentic masculinity, authentic, being an authentic husband or an authentic uh, father, there's many more facets that's way beyond putting food on the table. But I think we were just i agree with you i think we were um for a long time that was enough in our culture and then it wasn't right and um that's a whole separate episode probably to talk about <laughs> how that happened but i i so i guess I just, just to like drive the point home from your experience what you're seeing where you're working though that that is a deeply held belief still that you know oh i've got to be the provider and if i'm not i can't be a man um, and so it's causing a lot of bad behaviors. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. And so, you know, out, outside of educating them incarcerated, you know, what what are things that can be done outside of that situation to kind of prevent getting there in the first place?
1: Absolutely. Was, and, and that starts with the early age of, and people need to understand what early age is. Junior high is too late. You know, mm. sixth grade is too late. Third grade is too late. You know, you have to catch uh-huh. them early because if you don't catch them, the streets is going to catch them. And what happens in terms of fatherhood and masculinity, and when we talk about it, let's just tie it all together. If you don't have that father in your home, then you're missing that foundation. A major foundation that defines who you are. And so when you don't have that father, then you have identity issues. And what happens when you have these identity issues, you start taking on the role where people define who you are. And because you don't know who you are, you begin to walk in those, you know, those steps that people say, yeah, man, you're a, you're a drug dealer. Yeah, I'm a drug dealer. Man, man, you're a hustler, man. Yeah, that's who I am. I'm a hustler. Man, you're a pimp, man. Yeah, that's what I am. I'm a pimp. You're a killer. Yeah, I'm a killer, man. That's who I am. And they begin to adopt that behavior into their lifestyle because of a lack of identity of who they are.
3: That's
1: Yeah, so essentially you're...
2: Oh, sorry, Brandon. Go ahead.
3: I was going to say, that's just such a true statement it's, if we don't teach our children, the world teaches them and they teach them in such a more brutalistic and more immature and, and lack of awareness way, right? I mean, us parents, we have a very defined way of looking at how we want to teach our children, how we want to guide them, what kind of path and the world has no care in that and it will teach them whatever it wants, however it wants and, and in a much more brutalistic manner, so...
1: No, you're you're absolutely right. And and the thing that, that hurts me the most is the system that says that they are for the children's best interest is not for the children. We're talking about child support services. You know, yeah. I, I mean, when when you think about child support services and they say we're here to do what's right for the children. But that changes when the father is the person who is uh, who has full custody. So now the sh- that shifts in terms of, of the financial giving, you know, in terms of what the mom gives in reference to what the father gives, it changes in terms of, you know, who, uh, it's not a lot of child support managers or, or, or case caseworkers that are men. There's not many mediators that are men. And even the men that's in the judge still doesn't take the, the, you know, and, 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 and make it go straight across the board in terms of fairness. So it's not a father friendly system either.
2: Yeah. And so essentially what you're doing is stepping in and teaching these men who have the opportunity to be a father and, and essentially catch these children at a young age. You're saying, hey, if you don't step in, someone else will for you the streets will step in for you. And, and instead of you teaching what is right and wrong, they're going to teach your children, hey, being a pimp's cool. That's right. You know, hurting people. That's right. Selling drugs. That's right. You know, and it's, that's, that's a good perspective to look at It is if you don't step up as a father, other men will. And sometimes they're not a good influence.
1: Absolutely. You know, over 80% of the inmates grew up without fathers.
0: Sorry to interrupt the episode, but real quick, we wanted to correct a stat. Uh, Dr. Perilliat said that there was 80% of inmates that grew up without a father. Uh, he, he double-checked that stat, and the number is actually 40%. So we just wanted to insert this to make sure that the correct information was reflected in the episode. Uh, so it's 40% in the prison
1: grew up without a father. Back to the episode. So when I have this fatherhood class and we start talking about this, they're in there. And they're, I mean, literally crying, but, you know, of course, they have to set the stage in terms of this is a safe environment, man. You can be anywhere you want to be. And if anybody laughs or ridicules or makes fun of you, I'm kicking them out to class permanently. They can never come back to the class because I've got to set a safe place so these guys can yeah. be who they are. And then they're like, Dr. P, you got me up in here crying like a little you-know-what, and, you know, and I don't know why you got me in here, man. And And, and my thing is, no, you need to understand one thing. You're human, and humans have emotions. And so, there's nothing wrong with you. You just got to uproot that old foundation and lay a new foundation because all that thinking that you used to think is all wrong and it's gotten you in trouble because it's wrong. And now you have to, you know, go a different route, a different way and and they're, you know, they feel bad because they're like I was selfish now that they they have time to think about it. I was selfish and I did what I wanted. And now my children are without their father because I was selfish.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that in and of itself right there, that could be a dangerous spiral, right? If that's not handled well. Um, Just to go back on, you know, being emotional. Um, You know, I think one thing we've heard from numerous angles, numerous backgrounds on this show specifically is how vulnerability is really a superpower. and It's probably the most underutilized tool by men with other masculine relationships. And, you know, if you kind of just reflect on your past and, you know, we I think we've all kind of had this phase in our life where we hung out with, like, the people we thought were going to make us cool or whatever, right? They were going to give us the status we so desired. No one in that group was vulnerable at all. It was all a facade. Everyone's putting on masks. And so wh- wherever you are in the world, listening to this, whatever upbringing you had, that is a recipe for failure. It may not be prison, but it's not going to set you up for success. Um, how, I guess let's start with the inmates. How are you actually able to break through to them on that? Because that seems probably like the most foreign concept possible, uh, for someone growing up on the streets and then finding themselves in prison. Um, but then also let's maybe take that to, with all of your experience, working with men, from numerous backgrounds what do you think just kind of the average guy can take from your experience to to be better about that in
1: their own lives well they have to change you know the bible says that we can't conform to the world but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds mm-hmm. it starts here in our mind and we have to change that thought process in order to change our behavior and You have to be able to have it to a place where they can feel free to talk about whatever it is, because that's where they get set free is when they, it's not when they keep it down hidden, it's when they expose it, that they feel like, you know what, the shame is is out, the guilt is out. I don't really care. I just want to be set free. I had a guy in my class, just to answer your question, George, he cried the entire class when we talked about fatherhood not even in men and emotions we talked about fatherhood and we talked about what a good father is and what happens when a father's not in the home and how the you know that the implications of that uh affects us in 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 overall part of our every part of life you know when when we have relationships with women or whether we or can nurture our children or, you know, we make good decisions and wise decisions. I mean, whatever the situation is. And And the thing is, when I told him, I said, look, I said, I know how you feel. And the thing for you to do is not want to come here anymore. I said, but stop thinking that and don't ever stop coming. I said, something's happening in you. And it's awkward because you never felt it before. And so the best thing for you to do is to repel from it and run from it. I said, but you have to embrace it. I said, and you'll see that the more you embrace it, uh, the more freer you get. Now, the guy was at the graduation. We just had our graduation Monday for our fatherhood class. And he gave that story. He choked up again. But, you know, he said, and everything in me never wanted to come back to that class. He said, but I kept hearing your voice say, don't ever stop coming. Don't ever stop coming. So, yeah, it's 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 those kind of conversations uh, that really, you know, and I don't just work with men in prison. I, I work at, at, at yeah. apprenticeships, you know, where, you know, guys is learning trades and how to be carpenters, electricians, plumbers, um, concrete masons. And they're all and there's women in there, too. So and there's blacks, there's whites, there's Hispanics. I mean, from 18 to 45, you know. And, uh, and we, we, we just continue to teach these same fundamental things that the men and emotions. And I tell the women, I know it says men and emotions, but if you really want to get to know a man, then you need to understand his emotions, you know, and if you really want to build a relationship with the man and begin to understand who he is, but not only who he is, find out who your father was. Because your father, just like it impacts the young boys, it impacts the young girls. The women that's out there doing the human trafficking, the selling her bodies. I guarantee you there was a father missing at home. That girl that got pregnant when she was 15, I guarantee you it was that father that was missing at home. Or our suicide or depression or mental health issues or anxiety and isolation, all of those things, I guarantee you look back at it, the father's missing from the home.
3: Okay, so how do we, how do we fix this cycle? How do we break the cycle and fix this? Uh, like Whether it's I- specifically in any kind of community, I know obviously we're teaching the emotional regulation. We're trying to reach out to the younger um, adults at an earlier age to try to get them before the world does. But like, are there other ways that we can break this cycle?
1: And yes, there are. I mean, one is that we have to get the mothers to understand the importance of this as well and to get them to work together man-to-man is not a woman's badgering type of organization it's a family organization it's it's really it's an advocate for the children working with the mother and the fathers so we have to have make sure that the mother and the fathers are on the same page and a lot of times because of hurt and pain, you know, the mom might not want you to be involved. Even if you might be helping the children, she may not want to because she has her own pain and and and, and history of, of what has happened because you decided you didn't want to be with her anymore. You want to be in another relationship. So first, we got to get both parents on the same page. That's number one. Because if you don't get the parents on the same page, the kids will work against the parents. They will play them against each other. The second is we have to get the schools to understand, because if you, if you think about it, how many classes did you take on communication in elementary school? How many classes taught you about vulnerability and being transparent and how to communicate and how to listen? None, exactly. And so, you know, we, when we think about this We have to start this in the schools. And that's what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to start working with superintendents and principals of schools and begin to implement this at at a very early age so they can start practicing this, that they understand that, you know, I have to be a great listener if I'm going to be a great communicator. And if I'm not going to be a good listener, then I'm going to get some of the conversation, which is going to be miscommunication, which is going to lead to conflict. And I don't do well with conflict.
0: Hey there, we hope you're enjoying this episode of the Present Fathers podcast. Our mission is to reach as many men as possible and equip them to be excellent family leaders. We believe that by inspiring and equipping men, we can change bloodlines and positively impact our culture. You can join us on this mission and partner with us today by doing one of two things. First, go to your favorite podcast platform, whether that's YouTube videos or Apple or Spotify, Google, etc., and leave us a review. The way the algorithm works is that it really values reviews, and this helps promote our stories to get them out to more people. The second way you can help is by sharing your favorite episodes with friends and family. Help us get the word out so that we can make a difference in our culture. Thank you for watching, and we hope that you join us in our mission to change lives. That's so wise. Um, and it's it's almost comical that those aren't foundational things taught in school. You know, uh, it's, it's criminal, really. Not even that. at
1: home, George.
0: Well, yeah, there's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is that is very true. <laughs> very true. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a great point, too, right there is if you're listening to this, reflect, take a minute, pause this, reflect on. Are we teaching our kids that? Because those are skills you'll need in every single thing you do in life. Conflict resolution, listening skills, um, patience, emotional regulation. So, yeah, uh, it just seems, though, (laughs) it's so obvious, right? If you just take a little bit of time, you can really kind of pinpoint where a lot of this stuff is going wrong. And yet it just seems like it just keeps turning on forward. obviously it's trying to revamp the whole school system is probably not going to happen. So what are some, outside of just teaching it in the house, what else can parents do um, to maybe influence their schools to consider this more in their local
1: communities? Well, you know, we can think about coaches because coaches, you know, spend a lot of time with your children, sometimes more than the parents. And so, you know, we're trying to work with, you know, AAU and football teams and have, you know, midnight basketball to get the guys off the street. But, you know, we're not just going to play midnight basketball. You got to go through these classes while you're not playing. So while the other teams are playing and, you know, you have two games to wait, then you're going to be in the classroom learning how to communicate. You will learn how to be effective in, in, um, you know, how you communicate and how you, Uh, speak to people and how you treat people and how you open and how you're able to, you know, talk about how you feel without being judged. I mean, we have to hit them from everywhere we can, man. I mean, the hospitals, I'm I'm working with the hospitals now trying to figure out, okay, you know, let's see how we can save you some money because all of these issues with mental health and all these issues with, with, uh, You know, depression and anxiety can be dealt with if we can just deal with, you know, trying to teach these simple things and getting fathers involved. A lot of times people think fathers don't want to be engaged in their children's life, but that's so far from the truth. A lot of times men run from their responsibilities because they don't know how to be a father and they don't have those skills. So let's let's start working with the hospitals. And how about, you know, before this kid is even born? Because if you look on our website, it says this is where it starts and they're holding a the baby in their hand. This is where it begins, you know. So to answer your qu- question, Brandon, that's where we start. We have to start when they're infants and we have to be able, you know, like mothers go to Lamont's class. Well, how, you know, what does fathers have? You know, what, what, what do we have to prepare us for parenting and fatherhood? You know, you got you go drive a car, you gotta take a test, man. You gotta you gotta learn how to drive a car. If you're gonna be a doctor, you gotta go to school, and you gotta learn how to you know go to school. And I mean, you get these degrees, but what do you get for fathers? I mean, or mothers? I mean, what kind of classes are out there for really actually? Or even if there's classes, how many of us are gonna take them?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. I, I try and tell young men, you know, newlywed men that I know. Hey, Man, the best time to learn about being a dad is now before you're a dad. Mm-hmm. I promise. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> George, a, listen a podcast, read a book, do some stuff now.
1: There's um, there's guys in my fatherhood classes in San Quentin that are not fathers. and, and they're doing just what you said. They say, I'm not a father, but I know one day I will be, and That's so you know, I want to learn how to be. You know, a good father. I want to learn how. You know, have some tools that I feel like I'm equipped when I leave here that I don't ever come back.
2: You actually, so, uh, I'm sorry, Brandon. I'm going to go real quick. You, uh, you actually said something that really kind of struck home. Uh, you talked about their spouse or their significant others as well being on the same page with them. That's huge, and a lot of people don't really talk about that. Is that sometimes if you're not on the same page, you're You're, I guess, essentially this standard that is being set, you and your spouse, not just you as a father, the way they see you treat the spouse or the significant other is also huge. Um, So I just had a real quick question. I'm sorry, I'm kind of throwing this one out there, but as far as fatherhood and, you know, having a significant other, if you have one who isn't really willing to play ball or to kind of help you set that tone in that environment or doesn't agree with you doing that, what advice would you give fathers as far as that goes on how to handle that
1: situation? Excellent question. (laughs) I just had a, um, I just had a neighbor reach out to me on Saturday and he knows that I work with fatherhood and he lives down the street from me. And he was like, man, I need to talk to you. I'm dealing with some, some issues. And um, with my mom's, you know, the my child, my son's mother. And, uh, so we went for a walk went for a hike and we began to talk about this issue. And I told him this, I said, you know, you're only responsible for who you are and co-parenting only works when two people are willing to work. And so sometimes, you know, for me, Justin, um, When Mother's Day came, my daughter was basically saying Happy Mother's Day because she looked at me as a mother and a father. And then she stayed with me for nine years. When she became 17, she lived with her mom. Her mom wanted 50-50, so she went in for the 50-50. Now, here's the thing that, that what you're saying. She never works with me but my daughter always comes to me asking me for the things that she needs when she's with her mom. And I'm at the place where, you know, sometimes it feels uneven and unequal, you know, that, you know and unfair, the fact that I'm doing everything even when she's with me or not with me. But what I've learned is to try to figure out the best way that I can meet her needs. And, and if the mom wants to participate well, then that's a bonus. But I'm not going to set myself up for failure expecting her to do something that I don't think she's capable of doing. And wow. and so, Justin, one of the things that I remember when I was trying to change my life, and I, I I was a bad character back in the day, man. I did a whole lot of bad things that I'm not very pleased with. But I remember asking my brother one day, and I told him, I said, look, man, I said, uh, how do you do right when you've done wrong all your life? And and I began to ask him about our father who disappointed me in many ways. And he said, you know what I've learned? I said, what's that? He said, I've learned that if I don't set any expectations, I won't have any disappointments. And that's what I, I would say to that man that, you're talking about, keep doing what you're doing in terms of your children. And if the mother's working with you, that's, that's great. But if she's not, it's still our responsibility to do it. And don't set any expectations that you're going to be disappointed if you know that that's not going to work. And every time you're being played against, because I want to be a father, I don't want to be a friend. You know, my I, I got enough friends. I can be friends with my kids later, but right now they need the discipline. They need the foundation. They need the structure. They need what it takes to prepare them for this thing called life. And a lot of times that doesn't agree with the mom. You know, she, and then the other part that I want to talk about that carries on to what you're saying is we have to remember the culture. The culture in terms of the way the mother was raised and the culture and the way the father was raised. So what you think as a father is the right way, because that's all you know, but the mom is saying, no, that wasn't the way I was raised. This is the way that I was raised and this is right. So now this is where we have to learn how, you know, to uh, to agree to disagree and to be able to say, okay, well then let's, let's see how we can meet in the middle. and And compromising is being able to come into a situation, knowing you are gonna lose something. So I know that, you know, I might not get everything I want, but I'm gonna get something that I want out of this compromise. And when two people are working in that way and understanding that, you know what, we are gonna lose something to gain something, but that's okay. I think we're on a good start.
2: Yes, so you're essentially saying, you know, just be a strong father, a leader, and practice the things we talk about, which is communication and emo- emotional regulation, things like that, so that they have the intelligence and the wherewithal to just come to you with the issues they think they need to come to you on, and then they can handle the rest of them on themselves or, you know, deal with their mother, or whoever that, that significant other is. That's, that's a great point. Thank you for uh, elaborating on that.
0: Well, and I just want to echo, you know, Dr. P what you're talking about how you basically got to stay the course right people are going to be upset with you uh you know right now your kids may not like what you're the discipline you're instilling but it, the long term reward is worth it and i and i know that there's so many men right now in that situation where they feel like man i basically have to sacrifice everything to do the right thing here you know and they're going to hate me and they're going to be mad at me um ironically we just talked to dr meg meeker like 2 weeks ago about this exact topic she wrote a whole book on it and her overwhelming opinion, and basically every scenario, is do the right thing that you believe in your heart to be right as dad, because, you know, like you're saying, right? The stats about how many people end up in prison if they didn't have a father around, like they needed that in their life at some point and didn't get it, and it didn't work out for them later down the road. So it's that's a hard pill to swallow, especially if you're in that situation where, you know, it's a split home and, and co-parenting and all that kind of stuff, but if you're listening to this, uh, hopefully this gives you a little bit of, um, encouragement to kind of stay in the fight and, and keep, keep on keeping on because it will be worth it for your children. And they'll, they'll know one day, right? Like you were describing the situation where your daughter kept coming to you, your kids are going to figure out eventually you're, you don't need to be the one to kind of like share all the gory details. They'll figure it out, which parent is actually invested in their well being in the long run. And it may take longer than you want, but when that shift happens, it will now be a lifelong bond from that moment forward because it's just going to be so obvious to them in their own journey.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things, Bill, and and, and would love for the listeners to take away, um, you know, as a father, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. There's no manual to a perfect father. Yeah. I don't care. I got, four kids. They're all different. You know, I got 137. I got 130. I have 121 and 117. They're all different. But what I can say, all the money in the world can't pay for what I'm getting ready to tell you. And it's free. I mean, for for what I'm getting ready to say, it's free. And if you can get this, this will make you a good, a great father. Being active, present, and consistent if you can be active present and consistent it doesn't matter about how much money you have where you live or anything like that all these kids want is you amen amen i was stuck on (laughs) you yeah
3: so with that said and with you talking about dads that are hesitant and they're ready to run because they're not educated and they don't know what to do one of the other things that's important is how do we or how do you specifically engage with fathers who may be hesitant or resistant to seeking help or support? And like, how do you build that trust and that report with them?
1: Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, Brandon, I every class I teach, whether it's in prison, out of prison, whether it's anywhere in the world, <laughs> because I, I teach a lot. I teach and in, in, um Tennessee, we just had a big convention for the Commissioner of Human Services in Ohio. And the and the thing that I get the most is I always ask this question, how many of you have trust issues? <laughs> 95% of the class raise their hand every time. It doesn't matter what color or anything. The hand, and they're not afraid to put their hands up. So what I have learned is is, and I learned this from doing, what we call street ministry, when I used to minister to people, to homeless people. We Mm -hmm. have to find a common ground. We have to find something that gets these men wanted to talk. So if we know that they like sports, then we talk about sports. Or we talk about, you know, women, do you have any kids? They pull out pictures, they show you the phone. I mean, so these are things that we have to find a way to get them to feel like See, when you do this common ground, Brandon, what happens is they drop their guards because they're so comfortable and engaged in that conversation that they don't have time to be afraid or they don't have time to have fear. And so then we start talking about the fundamental things because now we've gained their respect in terms of the conversation and then we build on top of that. That's what I do.
0: It's so wise and because deep down, we all want to be connected, right? We want to be able to connect with others about the things we care about. It's just human nature. And so to, to kind of use that. And so this is great advice for dads with your kids, find the common ground. That's right. You just said, you've got four of them. They're all wildly different. <laughs> so find the common ground for each to connect and then, then you can gain their trust across the board. And and that matters. Those little things matter, man. We've heard it from every single dad who's come on the show has talked about it wasn't like you said, it's not the cars, it's not the houses, it's not the trips. It's those little moments where they were consistent and they connected on common ground. That's, that's so wise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and the next thing that I think is that I've learned with my youngest daughter, which I wished I would have done more with my my other children was to um create memories. We go camping every year, and we go to camping where're a place where they have no reception on purpose <laughs> so they can't get on their phones, they can't play video games. We got to play board games. We have to do stuff where we have to be creative. We have to be social. We have to communicate. We have to have music and laughter, but we have pictures and photos to remember those times and those memories you can never take away. So good.
3: I love that.
0: I'm a little, I don't want to get political necessarily. Um, But, you know, I don't come from the world you came from. I don't understand it to the degree that you do. And just when I look around at our country specifically, kind of over the last really 10 years, it seems very divided when it comes to color of skin, where you grew up, your religion, right? It it almost is to a point now where it seems if you aren't the exact same as me, we can't have any conversation about any of this kind of stuff. Clearly, that's not the case in your experience. So what trying to do this in a way that is (laughs) it's a hot topic. I, you know, a lot of people just, they want to say that like, Oh, it's, I'm oppressed or all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that that is happening. Right. There are people with very unfortunate circumstances and unfair. You talked about the system with rights for fathers. However, given those things, it's still not an excuse to just stop. Right. So, what have you seen work for people where they've got a lot up against them, but what are they doing that makes them rise above the situation and those who can't? Because I think that, that is the heart of the issue that needs to get public again, because we want to, in general, I'm speaking in generalities here, our country is so har- you know, harps, or harps on, well, you're this color or you're from there, and, that's the, that, and it just stops there. And that's just not true, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So I- if you could shed some light on that.
1: You know, it, it seems like we're regressing rather than progressing. It seems like we're going backwards, and um, and you're right. It's it's a problem. It's a major problem because we don't want to address the elephant in the room. You know, and and you know, my whole thing is we have to expose it. We have to expose it for what it is, and we have to be able to to articulate what that is that we're feeling. Yeah, uh, I understand. Man, let me tell you. I went through it. And when I say I went through it, I was engaged in my children's life. My children's never been without me. They have never known their father being absent until we got a divorce. And the way they treated me was like a deadbeat dad. They put me $50,000 in a hole overnight based on some financials for one year out of three years, they took the highest one and said I had the potential of paying that. And it was a recession. So I did not have the ability or the potential to pay for that. And I mean, it was like one wall after one wall after one wall, man. I had to drive past my job to go an hour to drop my kids off at the daycare, come back to go to work and then go back. And pick them up. And I'm talking about in one day. And it's just, I mean, one thing after another after another. But the thing that that and I'm not getting off of what you said. I remember crying in my room with my mom in the other room with her and, and trying to be quiet so she couldn't hear me, you know, just beat down to the point that I felt like I didn't have anything else to give. But the one thing I understood was these kids didn't ask to come here. And no matter what, I'm going to do whatever I can to provide for them. Anyway, they didn't know we didn't have money. They didn't know we didn't have food. They didn't know we was homeless, you know, because we live with family members, but it turned around, man. And, and, and what I want people to understand is what you just said in terms of what do you do when, when it's all against you, when we talk about emotions, George, emotions is temporarily. And that's the thing that we don't understand. When I say it's temporarily, it's like seasons, it comes and it goes. It's never going to last forever. And we have to understand some seasons are longer than others. But when we're going through the season, we have to understand that there's an expiration in that season. And that's what gives us the hope to keep going. Mm.
3: Dr. Stewart. How did you make it through your season?
1: I made it through my season with God. <laughs> mm. I mean, on my knees and praying and, and really actually seeking his face in terms of wisdom and, and hope. You know, because, you know, in Jeremiah, it says, I know the plans for your life, says the Lord, the plans to prosper you and not harm you. They give you a hope and a future. And that was what gave me hope in a hopeless situation. I mean, in a time where I felt like, I mean, it couldn't get any worse, it got worse, you know? And, uh, and, you know, fighting the systems in terms of mediation and child support and judges and the mother. But you know what? At the end of the day, I still came out victorious. I got custody of my children. At the end of the day, after all of that, God gave me my children, and I wasn't even—I didn't have a job. I, but I, I—I was in seminary, working on a master's degree with two kids, and a doctorate degree. They—they they didn't know. I told my daughter the other day, Brandon, I said, uh, "You didn't even know that I cooked." And, and washed the dishes and did everything and did the homework with you and lay down for two hours from 12 to two to get back up to write papers until you woke up at six o'clock, made you breakfast, took you to school, you know, took my son to school early and, you know, doing all of the, they go to different schools and, you know, it was nothing but the grace of God, man, that he carried me through it, man. He carried, he literally carried me through it. And then he shined his light on me and gave me custody of my children, you know, for nine years, man. You know, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I still had the $50,000 debt, but I had my children,
2: you know. Well, Dr. It's P, amazing. Um, sorry, hold on, give me a second. I had a, um, a friend who uh, took his own life about two weeks ago, uh, maybe three, um, and his daughter and I have been in contact. Uh, He had two daughters and he just didn't see a way out. Um, I guess my question would be when a guy is in that or a father is in that despair and that depth of darkness, obviously God's the answer, but is there anything else you would suggest for those men that could really kind of help lift them out of that?
1: You know, there's, there's no long ranges in this thing called life. We all need somebody. And the problem is, you know, we feel alone sometimes. And when we feel alone, we isolate ourselves. But when we isolate ourselves, we lead ourselves into depression. And then we feel in a hopeless situation where we think we can't get out. And some people, you know, they get to that place where they just like, you know what? I can't take it no more. But I have to say, we have to remember that that's an emotion. And I tell the guys in San Quentin, don't ever allow a temporary situation turn into a permanent situation. A temporary situation is how you feel, your emotions. You turn that feeling into a permanent situation, now you take your life or somebody else's life. I didn't like how you made me feel. So my, my point is, If that is a man that's listening, that is in a dark situation, they would say that they don't want to be around anyone. But I would say, make sure you are around someone. i pull people out of places like that, Justin, where I've known they've been like that. And it's like, come on, man, let's go for a ride and take them to a basketball game or a football game. And, you know, they they act like they didn't have a good time. You know, and I was like, man, aren't you glad that you came out the house? It's like, no, nah, man, I'm not. And then they start laughing, but then it's like, yeah, man, I'm, came, I'm glad you swooped me up, man. I'm glad you came and got me, man, because we all need somebody, man. I don't care how tough, how how brutal you are, or how masculine you are. We all need somebody, and if and and if we didn't, then why are we here? Why would it just be me or just be you? You know, and so that's. You know the Bible says, "As iron sharpens iron, as one brother sharpens the continents of another." We gotta sharpen one another, man. I mean, we gotta we gotta be able to be there for our brother, to be able to pick him up and say, "Look, man, I got you, man." You know, I'm yeah. come on, man. I I know how you feel. I've been there. I I understand. Let's go get something to eat. Huh? Let's go play some basketball. Let's go running. Huh? Let's go hiking. Like the guy, my neighbor, man. He told me yesterday I was <laughs> I was leaving the house. And I was going to to go walking and he saw me and he came back and he's like, man, thank you so much for yesterday. And I felt bad because I didn't have a chance to talk to him because my prayer partner was on the phone and he was getting ready to preach in like two minutes. So I had to pray with him before he went in. But uh, but he was happy because he got hope because he realized you know what i'm not in this thing by myself there's other people that's struggling like me there's other people that has a lot worse than me and that you know now that i understand that i have some tools to kind of navigate through this it might not be the best day but it's not the worst day either Mm, preach
3: i love it (laughs) no man is an island right i mean the brotherhood that's that's what we encourage and and creating community and, and whether that's in church or where it's out outside of the church, you, you just have to create people that can support you. Cause when you're in those lows, again, like you said, you want to isolate, that's our natural thing, fix it ourselves, Right. And there's some things you can't fix, right. Others, others have to help you. So with that said, we're speaking about death and hypotheticals. If you were to die tomorrow and you wanted to leave one solid piece of advice for your kids, for their life, what would it be?
1: Wow. (laughs) So you said if I die, what would be the advice that I left for my children? To be the best that you can be. To do your best. You know, none of us are perfect, but to make sure that you uh, follow through with the foundation that's been laid before you. You know, we think well, as kids, they think that we're mean and we're and we're just don't understand them, but the thing is we love them so much that we don't want to keep them there. And so they have to understand. And I I I'll, I'll give you this real quick one that can kind of symbolize what symbolize what you just said. Uh my daughter said, "Dad," she said, Stewart, my son's name is Stewart as well. He says, Stewart's getting ready to go to college. Wow. You think he's going to be ready? I said, I've taught him everything he needs to have to be prepared for life, just like I've taught you. The test doesn't start until after you graduate. It's kind of like playing basketball. You know, you got to play. You got to practice. You got to run drills. And you got to execute those drills. But none of that really works until you play the game. And this is the game. After I leave, will you be able to move on and go on without me as if I'm here? Because that's what I'm teaching you to be. I'm teaching you how to be independent. I'm teaching you to make good decisions. I'm teaching you to be a problem solver. I'm teaching you how to love and and, and be united with your family and, and how to treat people. And all of that is in vain if you don't utilize it. Hmm.
3: Passing the torch. And I think yeah. you've done a very good job of that, Dr. Stewart.
1: Thank you.
2: Absolutely. So we'll go to something lighter, a little happier. Um, <laughs> so the question we ask of uh, every guest or every father is, um, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I just lost my train of thought. George, you'll have to edit. I, um, I'm still but, thinking about Jonathan. Poor man. memory. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, you're good. All right, Dr. P, so one of the questions we ask every father is, um, what is a core memory or just a time in your life with your kids that really just sticks out to you when you think about it?
1: I just went to, um, my, my daughter had a um, scholarship. She, both of my kids earned full scholarships to a school called Marin Catholic, and it's $26,000 a year. And um, I had to stand up. They asked me to give a speech to the benefactor who actually um, pays for my daughter to go to school. And the thing that stuck out the most was two things. One is the fact that every day in elementary school, my daughter brought me a flower and laid it on my dining room table. And it was a different flower. Never in the whole year. Did she give me the same flower? That was a memorable part for me. And then for my daughter, I remember, and she remembers it like, cause she talked about it last week. She was, she had picture day and I did her hair and I made sure everything was done right. And, you know, got her up really early and made sure that she was prepared. Walked her to school and I said, baby girl, I said when you when when they get ready to take the picture, say this one's for my dad. She she will never forget (laughs) I love that. And she told (laughs) me when she went up, she came back from a retreat two weeks ago. She said when she they had to talk about it was Cairo's retreat. And the retreat changed her whole life. And she stood up before the parents and talked about it. And she said, dad, I was started to go up there and say, this one's for my dad. This is That's like good. 10 years later. That's amazing. Man. I, love <laughs>
2: That's
0: <it>. amazing. <laughs> I love that so much. All right, Dr. Stewart Perilliat, where can people find you? Where can they uh, get engaged, help out? What's the best way to do that?
1: Well, best way is uh, our Email address is man, M-A-N, number two, M-A-N, at man to man, again, M-A-N, number two, man, dash, U-Y-A, dot org. Man to man, at man to man, dash, U-Y-A, dot org. Our website is man to man, M-A-N, number two, M-A-N, dash, U-Y-A, dot org. All
0: right. And uh, are you guys on social media and that kind of stuff? Or
1: is is it just the website? Yeah, we, we, I do um, a show called Can We Have a Conversation so they can go on to YouTube, see all the interviews that I've had with fathers, with men, with mothers, with girls. And that's on uh, just go on YouTube and put my name uh, or put Can We Have a Conversation? And all of the, you know, the videos will pop up. Uh, We um, have—I don't do social media like I should—but we do have. If you go on to man to man dash uya, there is one for um, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.
0: Outstanding. Well, we will certainly put all the links to everything in the description of this video. Um, Any final words that you want to leave with the audience
1: before we wrap? I think I gave it, but I'll say it again. Uh, what makes a very effective father is not about how much money you give or, you know, how much stuff you acquire. It's about you being present, engaged, and active. If you can be active and present, engaged, all the all the flaws in your life means nothing because I'll tell you, there was a story about a guy. And the guy was a kid that wants to spend time with his father. And he kept asking his father how much money did his father give? You know, how much money did he make? He's like, Dad, how much money do you make? And he's like, why? He's like, I just want to know. And he, his dad never told him. And so he said, you know, Dad, um, I need some money. Can you give me some money? And he says, well, I just gave you $20. He said, but I need another $20. And his dad, you know, it's like, okay, you know, he gave him the money and, you know, he felt like he made enough money and he asked his dad, he says, well, dad, he says, today you don't have to go to work. And he says, why? He says, cause I've earned enough money for you to be with me for a day. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to buy this day to be with you, dad. And, you know, Don't allow your children to have to buy your love. Yeah. It it shouldn't come to that point that work is more important than you being engaged in your children's life. The biggest thing in life is the fact that these kids, the way they're shaped, the way they're formed, the way they think, you have the right to shape them and to form them. And if you don't, then somebody else will
0: wise words. Well, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for your uh the way you've de- devoted your life to this mission and helping men and and ultimately children, right? Uh how we talked about if if you can train men effectively, it pours into the next generation. So, thank you for your tireless efforts and uh, your willingness to share here on this episode. And um so for those of you listening, Hopefully you took some some encouragement from uh, his story, but also check them out. Uh, They are a nonprofit. So if you want to donate, I'm sure that they can certainly use the support. um, And we just appreciate you listening. And with that, enough talk. Let's get climbing the mountain of fatherhood. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Present Fathers podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.